0: Welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby,
1: how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself?
0: Well, uh, I was in the Midwest for four days and only gained two pounds a day.
1: Wow. That's impressive. Um,
0: the, uh, the food there, uh, not going well with my uh, digestive uh, track. I probably ate more hot dogs in the last four days than I've eaten in uh, four years. Curb, a um, few things to uh, cover here. Uh, sponsors, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and he will give you a generous discount. And I want to tease a couple of things. Uh, one is going to be a appearance of uh, in this podcast of your daughter, And two will be – I'm going to break a big, big IndyCar rumor here at the end of the show. Wow. not saying it's going to be accurate, but hey. Um, Curb, let's get to it. Uh, It's the post-500 edition. There's a lot to talk about. I think there's so much to talk about. We need to talk about the important things first, and then let's see how far we can drift down before we lose interest. Yeah, let's get out of the gate here. The restrooms – did you see a noticeable improvement this year?
1: I did. I did, didn't you? I mean, clean, fresh coat of paint, floor to ceiling, new urinals, uh, no rust, What the hand dryers instead of uh, piles and piles of paper products in the corner. I was impressed.
0: I, You know, you're still at a trough. Let's be clear, if you're a man, I guess. Yeah. I honestly don't know what the women have. Perhaps your daughter can chime in on that one it did somehow seem cleaner and more sanitary whereas the old ones it was like entering the gates of hell <laughs> yes as my brother pointed out though you could still basically stand well outside the restroom area and watch men urinating if if you are so inclined
1: well let's just hope that most people are not so inclined uh, they're There are certain realities of getting, you know, in a normal year, more than 300,000 people in there and out of there in one day. And uh, that's just something you got to accept.
0: That's a good point. Kurt, the other thing uh, pressing, I would say, uh, no balloons.
1: True, no balloons. If you notice, there was no uh, pre-race drivers in the trucks going around the track. And a lot of those things were cut out to make sure there were no problems or mishaps.
0: Do you think uh, the balloon thing was a COVID thing or are, is, are the environmentalists getting hold of the of all that is sacred?
1: No, I believe it was a COVID thing. You know, a decision that was made long before they had any idea whether they could even have fans or not. Um, I think they made the decision to cut out all the extraneous stuff that didn't need to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, I certainly miss the balloons.
1: Yeah, well, I, you and me both. I mean, it was a, a big hole in the pre-race traditions and um, pageantry. So, Kerb, it was
0: a beautiful day, wouldn't you say?
1: Best weather day
0: ever. Yeah, I mean, best that I can remember of any of my attendance. Uh, it was cool, not hot, absolutely perfect.
1: Not a lot of wind. And the day lived up to it on every level. Not not just the weather.
0: Kerb, uh, I'm interested in your views. Um, I think one thing I would mention here kind of at the outset is that, you know, you and I had discussed kind of the, the damage of qualifying towards the back or how much damage that was going to be. And I think, you know, in the final analysis, it turned out to be quite damaging, right? Um, At least in my view, what about you?
1: It left no room for error. um, If you're trying to make the climb from the back pressure on your fuel, pressure on your tires. So, you know, the harder you work, you know, the first half of a stint, trying to make up positions, then where you're going to struggle or suffer the second half of the stint to, to hold that position. So I think it put a lot of pressure on guys in that position that are trying to climb ahead. You know, you saw New Garden kind of try to, to run short on his stints and try to gain track position through kind of an undercut strategy. And again, it would work initially, but he could never hold his position out in front and it would eventually get swallowed up and and shout out the back of those, uh, you know, lead packs on every stint. Um,
0: if you look at Canon uh, and uh, and uh, Team Smug, Dixon, once they got kind of relegated to the back, it wasn't like they were tearing through the field at all. Well, I think in- the, the, the best example, curve if you indulge me here, is Simon Pagenaud. right? Sure. I mean, he, he's the guy who made it, who did, you know, eventually crawl his way to the front, but he needed about 10 more laps. Or five more laps, maybe. Yeah. And if he had started in second or ninth, he, he, you know, it's hard to argue he wouldn't have won the race.
1: Well, no, I agree. And I think when I talk about no room for error, that's the guy I have in mind. He give him five more laps. And I think he might have had it or at least had something to say about it.
0: Uh, Kurt, we're going to do something a little different here. I know since your uh, daughter happens to be visiting you for the 500, um and, and since she is part of the younger generation, I thought it might be interesting to kind of get her thoughts on kind of what in it, what sh, it should IndyCar do to attract their attention, because you know that is the future of the, of the sport. So, uh, M, from a beginning to an end, was it a good experience for you, or did you find yourself bored and looking at your phone ninety-five percent of the time?
2: everyone's been talking about how we can make this a show how we can pull in this audience how we can target the non-greater Indianapolis the non-IndyCar season-long fans um into this event it's a prime event for it it's massive it's huge it's patriotic it's Memorial Day weekend um I think up until now the point has always been it needs to be more exciting and there need to be more contentious passing or crashes or all these types of things and this was a race that was, had no on-track contact and was far and away so captivating to watch. Probably the best race I think that okay. I've seen. So- All
0: right. Well, I'll take you at face value at that. But the fact of the matter is, I'm sure, when we go through the demographics of the ratings and everything else, is that people generally your age didn't watch. You know, They're not as engaged as, as people of my generation were when we were your age. I mean, how are you going to get them hooked in the first place is, is my point. How is that going to happen?
2: I mean, I think if you look at the dailies, the Herda's, the plows, the Pedro awards, even if IndyCar doesn't sign on for like a drive to survive-esque series or something like that, there's an entrance of so much new blood into this field that is the ability via social media, via their PR like spots, et cetera, to build a brand around themselves, not dissimilar to Elio Castroneves. Because most of the people that are fans of Elio couldn't tell you his driving record. It's usually not the first thing that people will talk about when they talk about how much they love Elio. As long as we have really good racy driving and we have the people that are going to be able to pull on the personalities. I mean, all you really want is to be able to look at this field of 33, be able to want to cheer for someone and know why that is going to be for me Sage Karam because he doesn't wear a shirt or Elio Castro Neves because he went dancing with the stars or Simona Del Silvestro because she has an all-female pit crew. You know as well as I did that almost nobody left those stands when Elliot won, and most of them weren't there because of his driving record.
0: All right. Well, thanks for the input. Thanks for the um, uh, for the appearance on the show, and uh, it was good to see you over the weekend. Anyways.
2: Thanks, Jay. Curb. Um,
0: if you really look at the field, um, you know, obviously there's a few people up front there that had a chance i also it seemed to me that uh before ray hall had his mishap that he was a legitimate contend
1: contender uh what do you think uh well i thought so and i thought he was a contender on merit apparently he was intending to go the last 82 laps following that pit stop with only one more stop and he was convinced that was his ticket to victory and um I actually find that strategy a bit dubious. So it appeared to me he had a strong car to begin with. Why they wanted to go with that kind of strategy, I'm not certain. Um, you know, it's it's amazing to to see the interviews and to read the articles following the race. How many people thought they hired the car to win? <laughs> and, uh, yeah,
0: well that's <laughs> you could say I that happens almost every year, doesn't it? You know, you know, if only, if only. I mean, five hundred is the ultimate if only race. It's not just about having a fast car, it's about making no mistakes in the pits. And it's just about executing all day without errors. And sometimes you can have an error, or two and bounce back from it. but a lot of times you just can't.
1: The lack of yellow flags reduces the opportunities to recover from mistakes, to regain track position or at least uh, you know bunch up. Going back to what you said earlier about starting up front versus starting at the back. Um, I think helio helio's race in a lot of ways is very similar to sato's race last year right they both started in the fast nine were able to stay in the top group the whole race without having to do anything extraordinary to regain position and i assume that gave them the ability to you know really pay attention to their car on each stint pay attention to the other cars and and strategize for the end rather than having to to scramble to regain any positions
0: yeah for sure curb have you seen a uh the replay of the race uh, the broadcast i'm curious I I was uh, – when I was at the race, I was listening on my scanner to the NBC broadcast, but I was listening to it in conjunction with the uh, – what would you call it? The director or whatever, giving out his orders to the various people. Um, Okay. Yeah, like we're going to go to Marty next, which I know would get you excited because you're such a huge Marty fan. Townsend, uh, going to you, say something about so-and-so. I always find that interesting. I don't know. I always end up kind of on that channel at some point in the race because I always find it interesting to kind of hear, you know, what the uh, producers like saying to or the director is saying to his various uh, people, the various talent there, what they want to say. And it was interesting to me, and you know, based on the previous comments that that we've had uh, on this show, uh, when Conor Daly got hit by uh, the tire of uh, Ray Hall. Somebody came on, I don't know who she was, but she said, so that tire, that pretty much, uh, you'll hit that arrow screen, right, and, and save Connor Daly, right? And then there was kind of a silence, and then I, I think it was Townsend Bell that said, yep, pretty much. Now, did they on the broadcast uh, maintain that uh, the arrow screen saved Connor Daly's life?
1: In all honesty, I did not hear anybody say that. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't admit, either, because but you know sometimes you miss it, you know. Uh, I, I I will admit that when I was watching this Sunday night, um, it was pretty obvious in the replays, the tire hit the nose, and yeah. uh, really what was anywhere close to the aero screen.
0: It was um, interesting that somebody at NBC was trying to push that narrative, right? Right. And I maybe it didn't make it to the on-air product, but you know clearly. There is uh, – we have found now proof that there is some uh, – there is a movement about to kind of push that narrative. Curb, um, I, I'm, I'm glad your daughter's gone because I'm going to bring up a <laughs> somewhat controversial subject here. It shouldn't be controversial, but I think it's going to be. Simona Silvestro. Yes. And the um, Beth – Peretta
1: yeah. team.
0: Nowhere to be found all day. Nobody was expecting them to be found, but they weren't to be found all day. Ended up, I believe, thirty first, right? My question is I mean, and it's an honest question. I'm not I don't have an agenda here. Okay. All right. My question is, is an effort like that actually
1: good for women? Do do define an effort like that?
0: You know, I'm I'm trying to be delicate in how I put this, but, you know, I I don't know how else to say it. Beth Peretta got a team out there on the track um, because she was she was a woman. And she was pushing an agenda where we're going to get women out there on the track. okay? Not only, you know, in the driver's seat, but also in all the supporting efforts around her. To that, and, and she worked very hard to, to get that done right on that basis. I mean, there's no denying it wasn't just handed to her. Um, and then she's given no less than a Penske car with Penske support to do it. You know, at the end of the day, the, the, the effort kind of went nowhere. I mean, in, in reality, I mean, it's just it was just a, a field filler almost in that terms. And you might say, well, you know, that's what they need to do to get women in the support in the sport and so forth, but. My question to you is, Curb, is that really an impactful way to get women into the sport? And uh, in other words, if a woman had just—I mean, there's no reason a woman can't be as good as a driver as a man. I, I you know, thoroughly believe that. I don't, I, there's no question about that in my mind. So I don't I don't think it's that. I just think that a naturally women are less inclined to be interested in the sport in general. OK, yeah,
1: you know, as I, particip- participants or fans as participants.
0: And I would argue probably fans as well, you know, you know, the number of girls that say, Daddy, I want to go carding this weekend is probably less than the number of boys of the same age who want to do that. Right. If a woman came up through the ranks and a, a woman team owner came up through the ranks kind of without special support, but just kind of did it just like, for example, Michael Shank did it or whatever, then I think when they make the race and they get to the race, and even if they have kind of a, a lackluster performance like Simona did, I still think it makes a great statement. But I think when they're given all the support of Penske and all this, and it still kind of falls flat, I, I, I just don't know how much that advances the cause of women. And I know people are probably just you know outraged by these things, or am I being unfair?
1: uh well i'm gonna say that i disagree with you i'll let you decide or you decide if you're being fair or not i just think you got to start somewhere something i remember when emma was a young girl i'm gonna say she was maybe four years old and um notre dame graduate and the notre dame women's basketball team was playing in the national championship game so for one of the first times in my life i turned on a women's basketball game and uh and what, what i'll never forget is emma sitting there innocent four-year-old girl says what are girls doing on TV playing basketball? Like she was, It was just a totally foreign concept to her because nobody watched, you know, maybe, maybe women's tennis or um, women's figure skating or something. But by and large, any sport that she ever saw on television was always with men. And so a little innocent young child like that thought that only men played sports on TV. Right. So I, I just think that whatever encouragement that Roger Penske or the sport can give, to women and to create the impression among young women that it's all possible for them, all the better. All right,
0: well, I'm not going to argue that it's a negative, but question whether it was really all that of a positive.
1: What's interesting to me that we sit here and talk about it is, you know, Danica Patrick arrived, uh, you know, made herself known at the 500 back in, what, 04 or 05, something like that. And here we are today, 16 or 17 years later, and there seems to be fewer women involved in the sport now than there were, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 16 years ago. So it, what's, what's disappointing, I guess, from the diversity angle is there was that example out there, not only Danica, but Sarah Fisher, you know, Milka Duno, Pippa Mann, Anna Beatriz, uh, Simona Silvestro, Catherine Leg, instead of. You know, gaining numbers, the numbers seem to have dwindled, which is a bit of a mystery.
0: I think you've just kind of backed into my point. I'm not sure this stuff works. I think if Danica, for example, had kicked ass or took names in NASCAR, you know, it would be so much more impactful, right? Instead of having a much longer NASCAR career than would have normally been the case had she not been – uh, a woman and decent looking. I mean, you people, I'm sure will want to argue that too, but th- that's well, the truth.
1: There's plenty of male NASCAR drivers that have been around a hell of a long time and haven't accomplished a damn thing. So I don't. Yeah, it's
0: not on the setup she was set up with Curb. I mean, you know, let's be real. Yeah. Um,
1: she was on. She was on strong teams. I'll give you that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So let's let's get real. And you know, and uh, I. I Again, I mean, we could go over like you know how great her or not great her career in uh, IndyCar was, but but my point is is that <clears throat> I think that movement and that interest will take off when somebody gets there without a lot of assistance. Okay, I mean everybody's got breaks, everybody has you know advantages. Uh, that they take advantage of in their career to get to places i get that and i understand that but when somebody just you know when we'll really see a a big change in that i think is when a woman gets there and just starts beating people you know and until we get there i i i think it's going to continue to just kind of do what it's doing which is like you know somebody shows up it's a flash in the pan it goes away and then you know De- another decade rolls on.
1: I still can't say anything negative about the Beth Peretta effort or the Simona De Silvestro effort or Roger Penske's effort to support them. Simona is every bit as deserving, if not more so than a guy like Stefan Wilson or Dalton Kellett or some of these other guys to be in the race. Okay. I don't have anything negative to say about him. I don't think I would be, I'd be very happy to see him come back again and try again next year. Okay.
0: Alright, we've been that subject to death.
1: I'm not sure we cool. got anywhere. <laughs> well. I, I burnished my will credentials, how's that?
0: Kerb, we've gone long enough without talking about the victor, Elio. We talked before the race and, you know, I, I had I guess I had pointed out that, you know, Elio is one of my top picks and I just I liked how his month was going. I liked, you know, how how he was Seemingly fast the whole month of May, I liked the fact that he was experienced, and in the end, you got to say that that experience triumphed.
1: He uh, again took advantage of a strong starting position and and um, and really did a very good job of feeling the race out and um, putting himself in a great position and taking advantage of the opportunity. Whether it was all skill and experience or whether um, you know, There's a little bit of fortunate timing or whatever in there, only know he knows. But, um, but yeah, just a superb effort from an experienced guy that had his chance and, and didn't let it go.
0: I don't think Palau knew what hit him. Palau thought he was winning the race, and, and I think Elio was just like, uh, I'm going to wait for two laps to go, and I'm going to take it. And that's exactly what he did.
1: Based on his post-race interviews, Palau really thought that, he could get anybody back within a lap if somebody passed him. And um, that's where Helio snookered him a little bit and took advantage. You know, Helio got a a good toe from that uh, group of cars ahead of him that they were that they were coming up to lap. And I think it really helped him uh, pull a little bit of a gap on Paleo on that lap and a half after he passed him.
0: I, I do think he planned it. I do think he was methodical and I do think experience triumphed at the five hundred. As, as it often as it often does all.
1: Sure. Is. Sure. Great race by, my, uh, by Helio. Um, Indianapolis. Great for the IndyCar community. Um, hopefully, great for the casual fan that only tunes in this time every year. You know, it'd be interesting to be seen whether it creates any kind of a bump or momentum for the series. Um, be interesting to see how that works out and having a part time competitor being the Indy 500 winner. Yeah, I wonder sure.
0: if he's in Detroit.
1: I don't know. I think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the races he's in lines up with races where uh, Shanks sports car team is not racing that weekend and they use that crew um, so I don't I, th- I think sports cars are racing at Detroit, In Detroit weekend, but I'm yeah. not sure Yeah, yeah.
0: Kerb I'm about to drop the bomb on my big rumor unless you come up with something else interesting to say quickly
1: six out of the top ten finishers were part time or one off drivers what does that say good bad or indifferent
0: I think that says that part-time drivers this year got excellent equipment. It says that the 500 is a unique race in the skills that are required to do well in it.
1: Well said. Santino Ferrucci has been in three Indy 500s and has finishes of seven, fourth, four, and six. Oval Oval racing prodigy or just lucky as hell?
0: A little bit of A, a little bit of B on that one. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think he does well on ovals. I think it it suits him for whatever reason. Uh, But, you know, I think in a lot of those finishes, luck did play a role. So, Kerber, do I take that as you are ready for my bomb drop?
1: Okay. Here it is. Let's hear it.
0: All right. So, I have heard it on the weekend. I heard it on good authority that indeed. A Drive to Survive-like program is in the works for IndyCar, and that the purveyor of this Drive to Survive for IndyCar will be none other than Netflix.
1: Did you hear that from a mutual acquaintance? Yes. Okay, because I've heard that too from somebody I know
0: um, so who does so know plenty can, of people that are There you go. That are so I think connected. we can take that to the bank, baby. So uh, we don't know if it's true or not, but, it, you know, there's 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 some smoke there. Let's put it that way, okay? So let's just entertain the idea that it's true, 100%, right? Yes. Do you think it's positive or negative that it's Netflix and not somebody else?
1: I mean, Netflix is still the king of the mountain in streaming, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's talk that uh, Amazon's going to get into F1 in a big way, and that might be – now I think about it, why Netflix might be looking at this. Because if Amazon starts getting the, the broadcasting rights or the streaming rights or whatever you want to call it to F1, I would imagine that would uh, end any of Netflix involvement in Drive to Thrive. Uh, Amazon would just take that over.
1: I guess that's one possibility. Um, another possibility is if they have success with Formula One, maybe they think they can. Replicate that success with IndyCar, whether they keep Drive to Survive or not. Law and Order, where you have five different Law and Order shows, each with <laughs> its own suffix. Yeah. Drive to Survive in America or Drive to Survive IndyCar.
0: Well, I think uh, they should take our title, Drive to Survive, for less. There you go. Um, uh, I mean, I don't. It, no. I think the most positive aspect of if of it being Netflix, uh, where it to be Netflix, is that. I think Netflix would be obligated to give it the same, you know, production level quality that they give Drive to Survive, right? And that's, I think that's what you and I, if we really gotten too deep into our psyche, maybe put us under some hypnosis or something. And the the psychiatrist would, you know, put that thing in front of our face and tell us we felt very sleepy. And then the first question would be, what's your biggest fear about a Drive to Survive like series for? IndyCar, I think both of us would answer it is they'll do it cheaply.
1: Not only cheaply, but uh, poorly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't need a Dave Calabro version of Drive to Survive, right? Correct. And it just seems that's the fear.
0: Yeah, it just seems like is that is that what you think you'd answer in your hypnotic state? Yes, exactly. (laughs) The I mean. Can you imagine the hypnotist there saying, who in the hell is David Calabra? <laughs> it is my fear, too. I just I've never bothered, for example, to watch that show on Dixon. Right. It's hard to it's hard to think of a of an IndyCar or cart thing where they've done something like that, where it's been of any quality at all.
1: I guess I didn't get too much into Drive to Survive because they what they wanted to tell you about racing was all fairly obvious to me. And be interesting or salacious parts of it were more reality TV type stuff. That's a pretty big market to hit with a show if you can make it compelling enough to get them to come back and watch a second time. Again, my my last fear, which I think we both agree on, we've probably beaten this to death, but a day late and a dollar short. All the stories, we, all the storylines we've talked about already that they're missing out on this year, and you add you add this race and this result with a four-time winner and such a an exuberant you know, winner, ambassador for the sport, so on and so forth. There ain't nobody here from Netflix recording this stuff this year.
0: Well, if it is Netflix, it won't be a day. It will definitely still be a day late, but it might not be a dollar short. Yeah. And I think that's the hope.
1: Half a loaf better than no loaf, right?
0: Yeah. And uh, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't discount this whole Amazon angle with F1 as maybe why even Netflix is even considering it. Because you think Netflix would struggle – to do that kind of me too series with it you know I just I think I, I would struggle if I was you know Boston Netflix I'd be like ah,
1: I don't why do I need two of those from what I can tell um, all these streaming services are in a desperate uh, struggle for content for content so yeah, you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of the calculus we did well with FAF one we need some more content we'll give IndyCar a shot too
0: well let's hope it's true yeah at least on some level Hi, Curb.
1: Did you see where uh, Helio is the first driver to win Daytona 24 hours and uh, the 500 in the same calendar year?
0: Yeah, not interesting to me.
1: Okay. Did you see that Helio started two races this year and won both of them? Slightly more interesting. Okay. Did you know that after the Indy 500, Helio Castroneves is 14th in the points in IndyCar Championship?
0: Interesting in that it's a travesty.
1: Ahead of Bourdais, Ahead of Alexander Rossi. Ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray. Light years ahead of uh James Hinchcliffe, And half a light year in front of Connor Daly. So anyway, I saw that was uh a funny side note that he's that far up in the standings. Yeah, I think it's, it's, all, it's also a, a negative comment about the double points at the five
0: hundred. It is. I think that's what it is. That's that's why I called it kind of a bit of a travesty. All right, Carb. That's it. We're done. All right. Good night, everybody.
1: Good night. Have a good week.